Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I am so glad you have joined me today. It may be late June, but gosh, it feels like the dog days of summer already around here. July and August are never my favorite months just due to the heat, mostly having lived in the South most of my life. July and August, not the best months. But I'm afraid to say that the dog days seem to have gotten here early and it's just hot. The bees are not real thrilled with that. They were actually doing fine up until the last week or so when it seems like the nectar flow has just shut off like a faucet. And as opposed to them going in and out of their hive like the busiest airport you've ever seen, they just seem a lot more lethargic, not as much action going on. So that lets me know that they are in there (laughs) grumpy to some extent and eating nectar that they've stored. I have taken off some honey, but I'm being very conservative because as terribly dry as it's been and now hot, I feel like they might eat up a lot of honey and I don't want to take it off and then them be short in before we get a fall flow and have to feed them or something. So I'm being very conservative on some of the smaller hives. I've just taken honey frames out individually, maybe one out of one hive or a couple few or a couple out of another. On the big hives, I've taken it off by the box, but only after checking and making sure they had plenty below. So some of you are tuning in and saying, where is that Bob Benny article she promised? And it is coming, but because it is about making nukes with the double screen board, the timing just felt terribly off. During a dearth is not a good time to make split. Now it can be challenging during a really strong flow because they're so busy filling it up that that their mind is not really on making queens as much, but the time that's worse than that is a dearth because Anytime you have an unprotected, or really, I shouldn't say unprotected, because it could be a sizable hive, but if they're queenless, I don't know what pheromone communicates it, but they just become a target for robbing bees, and that is much worse the smaller the division is, so making splits during a dearth is just a bad idea, in my opinion. So the topic that seemed more apropos of the timing is keeping bees cool and detecting queenlessness because both of those things become issues in the heat of summer. I will also say for the newer beekeepers, if you haven't been able to control your mites thus far, unfortunately about now and and coming up soon here is when you'll start to see damage, when you'll start to see some really gross stuff in in the brood if you don't have the mites knocked back and under control. So if you haven't done any type of mite management, now if you started with a package, you'll just have to talk to your mentor about when they will need a treatment. And when I say treatment, I'm I'm hoping that you will be using one of the organic treatments like oxalic or formic, but both of those require some knowledge and you definitely want to talk to experienced beekeepers in your bioregion so that you will know when and how to do that. Otherwise, you'll start to see some grossness as late in the summer because what's happening all the time earlier in this spring and earlier in the summer, 
the population was building. So there was lots of brood. Lots of brood means there's lots of, of the right scenario for mites to reproduce. And unlike bee brood, the mites reproduce exponentially in each of those cells. So it's really important to keep an eye on that. Most of the time, if you aren't doing mite counts, which I hope you will be doing mite counts, I've, I find mite counts to be an extremely useful tool in knowing how my hive is doing. And if you have been told by someone or if you've heard, oh, well, I don't see any mites on the bees. Well, by the time you see mites on the bees, those bees are so far gone that it's going to be hard to salvage them. So please don't wait for that. Do your mite counts. Learn to do it either by the sugar shake or alcohol, whichever you want. But it is really important to get that skill down. So what's happening is now in the heat of summer, the queens cut back on brood rearing. We just passed the summer solstice. So believe it or not, the bees in the next week or so are going, no matter how hot it is, it seems so counterintuitive, but they actually begin to shift into preparation for winter mode. So from the bee perspective, we are on the downhill side of the year. And so as the queen begins to shut back on brood rearing, what happens is all those mites are out doing damage on the bees. There's not as much brood. So when a whole bunch of the mites jump in fewer brood, they can destroy it completely. If your bees have hygienic tendencies, and I hope they do, you will start to see some uncapping of brood cells. And that is if in some of the more hygienic bees, it takes them getting used to because they used to call it bald brood. I mean, I guess they still call it bald brood, but it's basically when you see a little uncooked bee in there, and he's staring out at you, or she is staring out at you instead of being nicely covered under a cap. And that means that the bees have uncapped that. In some cases, they are going to yank that undercooked bee out and throw them out the door if there are if there's a certain amount of mite damage. Different types of hygienic bees, from what I understand, they uncap and recap as a way to limit the reproduction of the mites. And this is a very, very desirable trait in lines of bees. There is a way to tell if your bees do that, but it's quite complicated in in figuring out if that cell has been uncapped and recapped. But there is some study going on because that is a trait that beekeepers definitely want in their bees. So if you are starting to see some ball brood here and there, then it could be a sign of that hygienic tendency. If you see a lot of it, that could be a sign that that hive is being overwhelmed by the mite population. And you would definitely at least want to do a mite count, find out where you are, and then talk to your mentor about what there is to be done. I want to just put in a plug here and really urge you to take this seriously because at this point for the newer beekeepers, the downhill slide to winter gives us a lot fewer tools going forward than the tools that we had in the expansion season in the uphill climb. <laughs> I don't know if everybody sees it that way, but I see it as an uphill climb to summer solstice and then a downhill slide into winter prep. But unfortunately, on the contraction side of the bee life cycle, so expansion up until summer solstice and then contraction after summer solstice, we just don't have as many tools. For example, the brood break that I use liberally anytime I'm concerned with a hive population if I'm concerned with their mite population, I should say, then earlier in the season, I would 
just do brood breaks willy-nilly, and by that I just make a split, even if I recombine them later, or if I make a split and let them make a new queen, and if I like that new queen better, then I might retire or give away the old queen. But one way or another, they're getting that full brood break. I don't do the whole, I've heard of it, but the whole caging the queen to give a brood break, it doesn't seem like something I would be interested in doing because anytime a queen is caged, and this includes even if you've purchased a mated queen and she's just been put in that cage for a few days, her ovaries shrink and she gets less queen pheromone. So that's not a good thing to happen to a queen. And so for me personally, I would never cage a queen to induce a brood break as I've heard some people do just because I, if I, if I don't like that queen, then I will retire her uh, finally. <laughs> I will kill her and let them make another or, or combine them with a hive that has qualities that I like. And last episode, we talked about the newspaper combine, which is a very easy technique to combine two hives with very little death and carnage among the bees, if any. So prep yourself in your mind to get ready to deal with late summer fall mites. That is your last chance. Late summer fall is last chance before they go into the winter. I really should just say late summer because by fall, the brood rearing is so restricted that if the living bees have a lot of mite damage or are infected with the viruses that mites carry, then it's going to be just this side of impossible to get that cluster to a healthy situation, healthy enough to get through winter. So that's why I really urge you to take that seriously. You know, I have been selecting bees for upwards of 10 years now to tolerate less mite treatments, and it's going really well. I am happy to say that if you are in a fairly isolated location and you brutally select bees over 10 years going, I should say brutally, but not senselessly, because if you kill off all the bees, then you have no genetic stock to grow from. But if you select for the ones that can handle mites the best consistently over 10 years without too much input from other people's bees in the neighborhood, then you have a good chance of getting to a place that you can reliably go into winter and come out with survivors. But if you haven't been working on it that long, if you are in a more populated area, if particularly one of these high pressure, lots of bees around you areas, then in my opinion, it's just crazy to not use the organic chemicals to knock back the mites, give your bees a chance of surviving. And as you grow your skills and, and as you get all the comb going in your hives, then you begin to have options to purchase queens from better genetic lines. So that's the bummer part of summer and late summer, early fall. The part that can be a bummer for the beekeeper is that it's just hot and sweaty and the bees are in a grumpy mood, which means that from this point forward, usually beekeeping becomes a little less fun and a lot more work than it is in the expansion season. One thing I'm focusing on is trying to keep my bees as cool as possible. I have some hives sitting in places where they get afternoon shade, which is wonderful. So in that burning western afternoon sun does not just sit there and, you know, cook the whole apiary. Those are wonderful yards. I also love them because it means once they go into shade, that even if it's in the afternoon, if the day is not too horribly hot, then I can work them in the shade. I love that. And since they have, you know, long morning sun, much of the day sun, 
then I don't run into the problems, for example, with hive beetles that you can run into in a hive in a shady place. Here in the mountains of North Carolina, we are not in a terribly high-pressure hive beetle area. You know, nothing like back in Arkansas, for example. But I have had hives to get small hive beetles and to struggle with them, and they were in shady, shady areas. So that's good for the beekeeper, not that good for the bees. However, I find I don't feel like the bees are comfortable if they are sitting out there in the blazing sun. Remember, those boxes are not very thick unless you happen to be using, you know, one of the hives that are built with the thicker walls or insulated walls. And so that sun just makes a hot box for them. There are many things you can do to cool them off, and I'm going to talk about those. But before I do, let me get to this little happy part, since that was such a downer introduction to summer. (laughs) Juan DiPolo, you are the winner of the subscription to Bee Culture Magazine. I bet y'all thought I'd forgotten, and I kind of did, but I looked back and on episode 100 on the Patreon feed, I had told everybody that it was open to everyone, not just patrons, that you could leave a comment and there would be a drawing among the people who expressed interest in the subscription to Bee Culture. And so the name that came out on the little slip of paper was Wanda Polo. So if, Juan, if you will email me or send me a message on Patreon, The email address is blueridge714 at gmail.com and give me your mailing address. I will have your subscription sent to you. So congratulations, Juan, and thanks for your support and thanks for putting your name in the hat. So after that brief bit of cheer, now back to the dog days of summer. (laughs) So there are several things, several ways that I use to keep the hives as cool as possible. I don't like to see, I know some people, particularly down south, are comfortable with seeing half their bees out hanging on the front of the hive, bearding in the heat. I don't like that. When To me, when all those bees are, are outside, when bees are fanning furiously to cool the hive, to me, those are bees that could be doing something more productive for the hive or for honey, as opposed to just trying to keep it cool. So I like to take, if I see a bunch of bees bearding on the front of the hive or hanging down from the bottom board. I take that as a sign they need some help with cooling. One of the ways I have found is I keep a piece of insulation board inside the outer cover. So, you know, normally uh, the outer cover of a Langstroth hive is just usually a piece of metal and a thin piece of plywood or something under there. If you have a migratory cover, then it might just be a piece of wood. But either way, that's not very reflective of the burning sun that is beating down on it. So I started using a a piece of foam insulation, and this is just the board. It might be half inch, three quarter inch, one inch, whatever happened to be in the workshop when I did it. Now the bees will, on the blue board or pink board, if there's enough bees, they will chew holes in it. So what I found, if I wrap that piece of insulation in a cut up piece of old clean feed bag, that plastic woven like stuff, then they won't chew on that. They don't seem to do anything to it. So that keeps my piece of insulation in better shape. One <laughs> one hive in an out yard, I'd kind of forgotten that I didn't have that piece of blue board covered. And wow, they just ate all these, it looked like a labyrinth or something in in the stuff because they just ate channels and holes in it. And probably toted all that out. So that was wasted effort on their part due to beekeeper error. That insulation board I found to be helpful. It definitely keeps the hive cooler 
especially because I make sure that all the upper entrances are open. So you know that little notch in the inner cover of the wooden inner cover. Most inner covers have that little notch that provides an entrance. And depending on whether you slide the outer cover forward or back, means whether that entrance is partially open, completely closed, or completely open. And in the summer, I definitely want it to be completely open. If they don't particularly need a front entrance, sometimes I will turn it around facing backwards so that, uh, at least in my mind, the draft comes in the front entrance and then goes out that top back way. Now, with any ventilation, the thing to watch out for is that you do not set them up to be victims to robbing. And when I say robbing, that could be other bees. It could be hornets, yellow jackets, all that stuff. You don't want to set them up to be sitting ducks for those. A big bubba hive is probably not going to have much trouble. So you can you can create some openings with them and probably they will be able to handle themselves. However, that comes with a caveat too, because they may can handle it, but if they're constantly having to fight off intruders, it makes them very grumpy. And when you go to tend them, they will consider you an intruder and they really lose their sweet personalities if they've been having to fight off anything on a regular basis. So some ways to get around that on a smaller hive, I'm much more careful because their biggest threat is usually a big bubba hive of honeybees trying to rob them out. You have that catch-22. If you have a solid bottom board, you know, reducing the entrance can really cut off the circulation. So if you have a solid bottom board, one of the options is to use the bee hardware cloth across the entire front entrance, the lower front entrance, the big one, and then just make a little hole in the bee hardware cloth enough for a few bees to come and go. That way the air can come in, but robbers can't. They will go to that little bitty opening, which is can be more easily defended by the home bees. Similarly, if it's a a very small, like a nuke or something, that I don't even want the top entrance to be a target for robbers, then I might put some of the bee hardware cloth just with some thumbtacks over that entrance. So again, air can come and go, but they can't get robbed. If it's really hot, one of the things that I sometimes do is to tilt the outer cover. So if you have a telescoping outer cover, and then you have an inner cover with a, with the hole in the middle. If it's a big bubba hive, what I might do is, is take the outer cover, lift up the back end of it, and sort of slide the whole thing forward so that the back edge of the, the part that drops down is now sitting on the inner cover. So essentially, it's like tilting a top hat, you know, kind of um, lifting it up and then sliding it forward. And what that does is it essentially opens the airflow so that the heat rising through that center opening, the center hole, can go more easily out the inner cover, all while remaining shaded. And that's a good way to cool a hive. If you are using screened bottom boards, this is where they really shine in the summer. I mean, they're pretty useless. Well, I don't know. I've I've read that they're pretty useless about mite control. I mean, heck, if three mites fall out, then to me that that helps. (laughs) But in terms of legit mite control, it's not much. But for ventilation, I love screened bottom boards this time of year. Now there's another gadget that you can either buy or make, and that is a screened inner cover. I have several of these. I have two types. One is a screened inner cover that's entirely screened. It does not have a top entrance. 
And that one includes it on the the front and the back of that. It actually has a little rib that makes the outer cover sit up higher so that more ventilation can take place. And then the, the sides are low so that hot air can come out. Someone who kept bees in Mississippi turned me on to these, and I I like them. They're also great for moving bees if you have to, because you you if you have to move bees ever in the summer, you don't want the inner cover on there. You want the whole top open and screened when you have to move them. So these screens work great for that, and also just for keeping the hives cool. And because there's no entrance up there, then they are not exposed to robbing. The other type of screened inner cover I have, which is actually my favorite, and I got those from uh, Rossman Apiaries down in Georgia, which I found just because they carry a lot of eight-frame equipment stuff. And it is screened except for there's a board through the middle, right where the opening on a regular inner cover would be. And this also has an opening. So you've got screen, you've got that board through the middle, which is great when it comes time to put like a donut feeder on there, a bunt pan feeder or or a mason jar or anything. That's That's a very handy thing. And what I've found is if I want to close it off to prevent access to robbers, then I just thumbtack a piece of the bee hardware cloth over there. I think you're seeing why I have said if you have Gorilla Tape, which is my new favorite thing, (laughs) the Gorilla Tape comes in white, which just looks so much better on your hives if you're having to use it for everything like I do. Gorilla Tape, Reflectix, Thumbtacks, and Bee Hardware Cloth, and you could pretty much build the Holy Apiary with with those tools. But back to cooling. So what you want to do is you want to do something with your hives that allow the hot air inside to come up through the chimney effect and go out the top, all while not exposing the hive to too much robbing or predator pressure. But let's say you don't have any of those things. You just have a wooden inner cover. It's got the hole in the middle. So if you just got the traditional setup, then you have the option of tilting the outer cover, like I mentioned. I would suggest putting something inside that outer cover to act as insulation, meaning against the beating sun. You don't want to keep any, in this this season, you're not trying to keep any heat in the hive. You're trying to let the heat out. But if you have a hive that you don't feel comfortable, maybe there's too much robbing pressure, then a simple old-fashioned thing is to just create some type of tiny shim and put it under the inner cover. So things that would create a crack to let the heat out but not a big enough crack that hornets or yellow jackets or other predators can can get in there or or other robbing bees. Things that work would be like a a big wooden matchstick. Um I don't know if you want to put a match out there. You might want to break off the match part if you if you do that. Or a twig. I use lots of twigs. A bamboo skewer that you happen to have left over from some shish kebab grilling, that will work. Just break it into little pieces. All those things will create a crack. So it'll create a crack to let some of the heat out without letting anything in. And then back to the shade part. Let's say that you don't have insulation on the inside of your outer cover. Some ways to shade it would be to put maybe a scrap piece of plywood that you have that's about the size of the outer cover. Maybe you want to put that on top outside of the outer cover temporarily just to create some shade. Now, to me, the most effective way to do this 
is to create a kind of a, a kind of a shaded roof. And this is something I saw in in tin roof buildings out in the southwest. I, I kept noticing that tin roof sheds had two layers of tin and there was airspace between them. And what that does is the the top layer of tin, and you can imagine in a burning New Mexico sun how hot a tin roof shed gets, but it shades the lower level of tin if you have two. And then there's airspace between the two. So that lower level of tin that is going to be radiating its heat into the shed it is only as hot as the air temperature is, which can get pretty darn hot out there, but still it's better than metal laying in the blazing sun. I mean, right now, if I lay my hive tool down on the top of a beehive, within five minutes, it's too hot to comfortably pick up. So <laughs> that's that's the temperature of that outer cover. And if you don't have anything between the bees on the inside, or if you don't have much, then all that radiant heat is just creating a lot more heat pressure for them. So some type of shading the roof. And so ways to do that, I mean, let's just say I'm just going to make this up and you can MacGyver it to work this way. But let's say you had two paint stirrer sticks that you get at Lowe's. You used to get them free. You probably have to pay for them now. But let's say you had two of those and an old piece of plywood. Then you could lay the paint stirrer sticks flat on top of the outer cover and then lay that piece of plywood on top of that and then put your rock on the outside of it. And so what you've done is you've created that shaded roof. I do this with kind of beat up pieces of foam insulation that I have laying around. So I I put something on the lid to create an airspace, usually a stick or a thin, a little piece of trim board or something, two, two of them. So I create, create airspace and then I might put that piece of foam insulation over it and then set my weight on top of that. So this is, I'm talking about thicker foam that won't bow down. And that works well. You could probably MacGyver something with a piece of Reflectix. That's the silver bubble wrap stuff. Again, just that so it's creating a shade on the top of the hive. And for some of my hives that are on the westernmost position in the apiary, those hives are going to take the brunt of that hot western sun. So what I have done is take a piece of Reflectix and I've actually thumbtacked it to the lid, to the outer cover, so that it hangs down like a curtain, not touching the western side of the hive, but hangs down like a current, a, a curtain. And I definitely want airspace because again, that reflectix reflects heat. And so I don't want the heat inside the hive being reflected back inside the hive to, to double the heat problems they've got going on. So if you create the airspace between the wood and the shade, then it cools them off. Now, all of this is I'm speaking mostly to hobbyists, obviously, because the commercial producers, you know, they are used to seeing half their bees hang outside the hive and it, it works for them. I just don't like seeing my bees that uncomfortable or working that hard to cool the hive. Also, being in a high humidity area, anytime the bees are hot and having to fan the airflow is not going so well inside the hive, which means that the honey does not cure up as fast. That the If it's a real human environment, then the honey can't get rid of the moisture that they're trying to get rid of as quickly, which means you're going to have more uncapped honey to deal with. So again, it is in my best interest to keep the air flowing in the hot summertime, both for the comfort of the bees and for the finishing and capping of the honey. So I hope those have given you some ideas of ways to potentially shade or cool off your hive until things cool off a bit.
And a related topic is just making sure they have plenty of room inside the hive. If you have taken honey off, then you've got a lot of bees probably compacted into far fewer boxes. I find it handy to take the honey off, bin it out, and then as quickly as I can return those supers, they're wet now, return them to the hive, making sure that that there's no top entrance and that it's sealed up because you want to see a robbing attack when they smell wet comb that's been extracted, the bees go nuts. So you definitely want to make sure that you're not creating any entrances directly into the top from the outside if you're doing this. But it's one way to get those supers cleaned up and they will lick it all just clean and dry and perfect. And then in the the meantime, they're protecting all that comb from wax moths and hive beetles, and it also spreads out the population of the hive. So even if I might not have a flow going for some time, for me, it's a good way to keep those supers protected, get get the wet comb all cleaned out. I know some people just set it out and in the their backyard somewhere and let the bees clean it out in one giant crazy mass. But again, I just try to be careful with that. I, a lot of bees get killed that way because you'll see them. You'll see a piles of dead bees if if you do that. And I guess that's from from fighting. But also I noticed that the bumblebees come in, it can attract yellow jackets, and it can just be a big mess. It can create a completely no human zone (laughs) around wherever you're doing this because there's a giant cloud of bees. It can potentially set off robbing if your actual yard is nearby. And by nearby, I mean like less than about 300 yards or so. And I know I've had people say, oh, if you just take it a hundred yards, then, then they won't. But every time I've tried it, I've tried it. Even my neighbor let me set some boxes out in, in her field. And even, even there, which I know is more than a hundred yards from the yard, it created a massive cloud of bees, which that I would expect. But what I didn't expect was it to create robbing pressure in the yard, which you can tell because you set those wet supers out there. And then within an hour, if you look at your yard, you will see robber bees going around sniffing all the seams of other hives. And so I just don't like to do that. So I like to let each individual hive clean out a few supers. It gives them, you know, a nice cheery thing to do in the dog days of summer. And as long as you protect those boxes from intruders while they're cleaning it out wet, then it's a good way to keep your comb protected until it's storage time. And also it just spreads out the bees and that way they don't have to be all up on each other when it is so hot. Because the last thing I want to be when I am too hot is crowded. And on that same note, if your bees were just, if the bees are just really, really crowded and maybe you don't have any kind of a flow on and you don't have wet supers to deal with, if you just have an extra box of raw foundation and you wanted to pop it on top just to give them some room to spread out, I doubt, I mean, they won't be drawing comb if there's a dearth for sure, but it gives them some room. They can be prepping the foundation, you know, how they they lick everything. (laughs) They can be prepping it to eventually draw it out if you get any more wax drawing weather for the season. And this is something beginners, it can get really tricky from here on out because the bees are just not as prone to draw wax from here on out. Some of that, I'm sure, is temperature dependent because I know there's there's a window of temperature that is ideal wax drawing weather. But also, I think it has a lot to do with the age of the bees because, as you know, the wax drawers are the young bees. And if you don't have as much brood emerging, you don't have as many bees that are primed to draw wax. 
So the downside of that for new beekeepers is if, if they have not, like if you started with a package or, or even a nuke, if they have not drawn out enough whack to get them through winter, then you're, you may have to figure out some techniques to keep them drawing whack. I don't know that you could induce that in a full out heat of summer dearth, but I do know that later in the summer, some some trickle feeding with one-to-one will keep the queen laying, so it kind of makes sense that that might give an opportunity for some more wax drawing. It'll be worth a try. And again, let me emphasize trickle feeding, like with a mason jar, where they can only get a little bit at a time, and you have to refill it often. Because if you were to bulk feed, like with a top feeder or something, where they can, then they're going to fill up all the space that they have, which is already full of honey, and the queen is not going to have room to lay, which creates all kinds of problems, but also definitely doesn't get you any young bees and wax drawing. So I know all that, I covered all that kind of fast. If you have questions on anything I said, please drop me a line, blueridge714 at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to explain if I was too confusing on any of that. And so finally, in closing, I'd like to just run back over the whole thing about how to detect queenlessness, because I'm already starting to get texts and emails from people I know saying, hey, a hive of mine has gone queenless. And my first thought is, maybe, but probably not. The odds are against just a full out going queenless. Now, it can totally happen. I mean, things happen to the queen. And if they swarmed and had a failed new queen return, then yes, they're definitely queenless. But in every case, if you suspect that your hive is queenless, let's say you go in the hive, you don't see any or very little open brood, you can't find any eggs, the open brood is a very small amount. Maybe there's some capped brood, but maybe there's not that much of that, but it's mo- any brood you see is mostly capped. You don't visualize the queen, which is not surprising because in a hive full of bees in the height of summer, she is harder to spot than ever. But the test for queenlessness is just the same that I talked about a few weeks ago, but this is such a critical technique to learn, and that is using a test frame to determine queenlessness. So this is, it's very simple. You have a hive, you're like, mm, I wonder if they have gone queenless. I have reason to believe they've gone queenless, but I'm not sure. I, perhaps the queen has just cut back on brood rearing. Some queens, depending on their genetics, cut back on brood rearing hard to the point that it looks like the queen is gone. So this super simple way is to just take a frame of the smallest open brood you can find from another hive, shake all the bees off, shake it back into the hive just in case the queen was on there. You don't want to lose a second queen. So you get rid of almost all the bees on there by just vigorous shaking. I shouldn't say vigorous, just a few decisive shakes (laughs) over the hive. And you've got a frame with hardly any bees on it. And that's going to be fine. You're going to put that frame of open brood into the questionable hive and mark it with something like with a Sharpie or with a thumbtack or something. Because you're going to go back in, like in, say, three to five days, you go back and that, that is a, you need to watch that time frame. You go back into that hive, you pull out your test frame and look for queen cells. If they have drawn queen cells, the peanut downward shaped, downward facing peanut size queen cells, if they've drawn queen cells, they are really queenless. And like I said last time, for me personally, if I don't know how long they've been queenless, I might not let them raise their own queen. I might. And if you wanted to do that, then just leave that frame in there and they will attempt to raise their own queen. The 
times that I would definitely not let them raise their own queen is if the population looks raggedy and sparse. If they look beat up and raggedy and sparse, do not let them try to raise a queen because they're just not up for it. You need to have a plan B. But if it's still a a booming, vigorous hive and you want to let them raise a queen, then okay, you leave that frame in there. But if it's not a good time to raise a queen, for example, if it's too late in the season, sure, they can make queen cells and sure that queen can go out and fly. But later in the season, the drones have kind of petered out. You have fewer drones. And then also there is that brutal bee math, which is, you know, closer to the to late summer is, is she going to have time to go out, get mated, get mated well, come back, build an entire brood nest and build an entire population that is big enough to go through winter. So that's what you're going to be asking of, of that hive if you let them raise their own queen. So look at your calendar, look at your flows, talk to your mentor if it's, if you've still got time for that. Like right now here in Western North Carolina, we've got plenty of time for that. That's, I mean, we have the challenge of the dearth, which cuts down your rate of success, but we have plenty of time to still do that. I shouldn't say plenty. Um, I have found that if basically kind of July 4th, if I can have a new queen in place, and I'm just making that, that date up because I've raised many a queen during July and, and had hives that, that made it through. But I have found, I don't know exactly why, but my friend Michelle and I have talked about this, that a lot of times late mated queens just don't do as well. I don't exactly know why. So keep that in mind before you let them make your own queen. If you go back to that questionable hive and you pull out your test frame and there are no queen cells on it after three to five days, then they have a queen in there. She may be in process. She could be a virgin queen who just hasn't started a brood nest and you haven't found her yet. Or she could be a mated laying queen that's just cut back really hard on the brood. So that technique of detecting queenlessness with a test frame of eggs and open brood will save you lots of money in buying mated queens. Because if they have a queen in process and you buy a mated queen, they will kill her instantly the moment they get to her. And that's just a waste of both her life and your money. So do the test. If they make the queen cells on it, and that way you know they're queenless and you want to, you don't want them to raise their own queen or you don't have time, then your options come down to combining them with another nuke or hive that is queen right, using the newspaper method probably, or buying a caged mated queen if you have those available to you and doing the the introduction that way. It is hard to get a full-size hive to accept a caged mated queen. I should say it's just harder than like, for example, a nuke. So I hope that gave you a few tips for dealing with hot weather and some of the things that you may be running into if you are in a hot weather zone. I know from here going forward, beekeeping feels like <laughs> so much uh, more work than it does in the experience the beautiful, wonderful spring expansion season. That is the season of joy. And now the season of of work of some kind for the bees, getting them starting to get your mind wrapped around that you are actually starting to prepare for winter when it comes to the bees. I want to take a moment and thank the new patrons that have come on board this uh, late spring and summer. Erin G, Diane W, Mark S. This is the second Mark S, so Mark S number two. Tatiana T, Sheila H, Kat S, Ken C, Jean S, Don B, and a special thank you to Don who joined at the angel level, Willie 
are. Now, someone joined, and I was so happy to see you there, but you didn't put a name um, in the profile on Patreon, but it looks like the uh, part of your email address is Hombo, H-O-M-B-O. So, so... Hombo, <laughs> for uh, with the email address of Hombo, welcome. Thank you for joining. Wayne G. John at Gmail. John didn't put a, a last initial, so we'll narrow it down like John at Gmail as if that narrows it down. But welcome, John. Clara M., Charles O., and Mary Ann Z. Welcome to all of you. I hope you find some good videos and tips and bonus podcasts over there at Patreon of uh, something to do in the heat of the day during summer. All right, I'll wrap this up here. I hope all of you stay cool. Don't get overheated out there. Drink lots of water this summer because it looks like it's it's going to put us through us through our paces. I am so grateful to every single listener. It makes my day when I see how many people listen to the podcast and and I just hope that you're getting benefit out of it and I welcome every single listener. And thank you again to the patrons who keep the whole show going and who keep you from having to listen to a bunch of commercials like every other podcast in the world. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Have a great week. I really will do the Bob Benny article. I just, I'll do it later in the fall when you're already starting to think about raising more bees next year. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.